All right, welcome to the Ahead of the Count podcast. Today we're with Court Rodig. Behind the camera, we got CJ and Andrew. What's up? How's it going, guys? Court, good to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, if um, thanks for coming on. But if you're listening to this right now, this is episode three. Three. But this is the second one that we've actually recorded. Sounds kind of weird, but this is uh, this is more. We're, we're trying to get reps in with our boys, you know, yeah, before right. before we drop the first one, and it feels good to to uh, definitely do it with somebody that you know I've talked to for a really long time. Oh, for sure, you know. Yeah. So uh, introduce yourself. Let's hear it. Okay. Um. So um, I've grown up in Orlando my whole life. You know, I've played. Me and Mitchell played high school baseball together for three years total. I think. Yeah, it was three years. Because <laughs> I, I came to high school my I, I came to Dr. Phillips my sophomore year, and so, well, you, yeah, you're you're a year behind me. So three years. Um, originally born in Atlanta, Georgia, to my parents. My dad is a doctor, but we when he got a job in Orlando, we moved down here, and so I basically grown up in Orlando my whole life. But yeah, um, what more for a bio? You think? Uh, just. Walk me through, um, you know, how you got to Georgia Tech, Okay. what um, you're doing there. Yeah, so um, the way I got into it was, I mean, just playing travel ball growing up, I had always just, like, stuck with it because I was, like, I, th- I I thought I had it in me to play college baseball in, you know, in the, in the future. And so the way I got to Georgia Tech, actually, because, you know, usually travel ball, like, they have the, all the scouts at the tournaments and stuff, and they're all, you know, they're all looking to try to sign someone, you know, and I had a few scouts come up to me, but nothing really, nothing really serious. And then what happened was I decided to go to like a prospect camp. I had Georgia Tech was my first choice of school because of all the engineering. But then I was also going to go to a Miami camp, like right after the, the uh, tech camp. And I went to the tech camp. It was August before my junior year of high school. And that that summer before I, had, you know, Gone into that camp, I was topping around like eighty-five to eighty-seven around there. So I, you know, it, it was it was decent for my age, but it was nothing, nothing that was gonna get me like a good D one scholarship. But you know, I went to the camp and I, I threw, I think I threw one inning, and that was about it. You know, I flew up all the way there, stayed at the hotel with my dad just to throw, just to throw an inning. You know, but like the feel was the feel was great. Everything you know, it looks it looks like a really good school to go to, and. So, I mean, after the camp, the head coach, my coach now, Danny Hall, he came up to me. He's like, so you hit 90 today. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I was 16 years old at the time. And I'm just kind of freaking out because, like, I had never seen, you know, 9-0 on any, on any radar gun, any scoreboard, you know, a perfect game. Like, well, Lake Point now in uh, Georgia, they used to have the, they had, like, the, uh, the radar up the whole time. So, yeah. But I was just kind of shocked. He's like, all right. Like, I mean, that was just the first part. He said, in that sentence, he said, you hit 90, so we're going to we're gonna take you around campus to give you a tour, and we're going to offer you. I'm like, you know, that was my first time that someone said, we're going we're to give you an offer. Because, you know, I, t- I had talked with, like, other guys. Nothing, nothing serious, though. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of just walked around with the pitching coach at the time. He sh- showed me the campus, looked, looked great, and I just... I went home for about a week, thought about it, and called him up that week after and committed. I didn't need, I, I didn't go to any 
uh, other camps. I didn't go to that Miami camp. I called them, told them I canceled, you know, because I it was like my first choice of school, uh, Georgia Tech. And so once I was there, I was I was I was just sold, you know. Yeah, that's that's really good. That was a good biography, Court. Um, so for people that don't know you, um, kind of go into what you're studying while you're playing baseball. Yeah. So the main reason I chose uh, Georgia Tech was, I mean, I wanted to play really good baseball, but also have a really good engineering degree. And my en- so my major is aerospace engineering, and that's it's it's a it's a pretty tough it's a pretty tough major and. It's kind of crazy because Georgia Tech's one of the only schools in the country where it has like one of the top engineering like programs, but also one of the top baseball teams. Like looking at like college rankings every year for in terms of major, like Georgia Tech for aerospace is their second in the country, and r- right uh, above them's MIT. And you, yeah, it's it, it's it's crazy. I know. And so you look at, but you also look at MIT, like you know. That would be an amazing school to go to. But at the same time, you know, in terms of my, like, passions, they didn't have the baseball for me. You know, I don't personally think I could have gotten in my own, you know, because, I mean, while I am a pretty smart person, the out-of-state competition is probably incredibly tough. MIT is just known as one of those classic, like, like Einstein engineering schools, you know. Georgia Tech is almost the same way, though, I would say, like, there, there's incredible smart people like all, all around, all around the school, and having that opportunity to get a like top tier engineering degree, but also top tier baseball, and also like having the option to pursue either dream is something that I like to, I like to, you know, I like to have. Yeah, no, that that's really cool. Um, so you said that you're topping out at 97 right now. That 97 is the hardest I've hit. Right now, you know, co- coming back into the spring, I right if I were to wind up right now and probably throw as hard as I could, I don't think it'd be 97. But that's just, you know, that's just how the, that's just how the body works. That's how the arm works. It's you have to get going for a solid month and a or month month and a half to 2 months before you're actually your all your muscles in your arm are loosened up and you're you can you're actually season ready. Mhm. So Kind of going back to what you were saying, I I thought that this was pretty interesting, but you were saying that one of your dreams was to be an engineer, your other dreams to play baseball. If you took away the fact that you threw 97, do you think that you'd be on kind of a similar path as far as school or what do you, like, where do you kind of see yourself Well, without baseball, you know? So I, so you're saying if I just didn't like, I, I didn't have the skill that I did. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I'd probably, I'd probably be more focused on the engineering. You know, I like to balance them out evenly. I think I do a good job, job with time management in school and stuff, but I, you know, I, I, I think more, I would probably have to focus on aerospace cause you know, I, I like to think of it as like two baskets, like a aerospace basket and a baseball basket and it's putting your eggs and like, which, like how many eggs you put in each basket and how that changes from year to year, you know? I would say freshman year, I, I didn't know what what, what was going to happen to my career going in. So I kind of had it 50-50. But as these years have gone on, like these past two years now, going into my junior year, my draft year, I've started to focus more on baseball because it's like you can do engineering at any time in your life, I th- you know. But baseball, you have a small window of opportunity in your life where you're actually fit to play. You're at your peak, peak performance of your body before, you know, you turn 
however old and, and you start, you start, you know, deteriorating, I guess, you know, it happens to everyone, but it's just like getting, like, I understand that I have a, a small amount of time to do this dream, but I could do aerospace, whether I'm, you know, 25 or 35, like that. 100%. Um, you know, it says a lot to who you are as a person when, you know, your plan B is rocket science. Like, <laughs> you know, plan A is baseball, plan B is rocket science. That's that's something that not a lot of people can say about themselves. And I think that your word definitely holds a lot of weight with a lot of people because you were so far ahead of just an average person and you can you can see it when you speak with when i speak with you and when really anybody does that you definitely got something special going on but um yeah no definitely uh go into kind of what you're thinking is going to happen in the spring coming into yeah. your junior your junior year coming to my junior year so i mean i'm not trying to let the draft get in my head. I've I've had previous teammates that I've played with who I've you know I mean I I've learned from their experiences kind of indirectly. I've seen you know kid I've seen kids in their sophomore year. My teammates they'll have a incredible year. They'll you know hit three fifty or something like that. Like have incredible numbers. Looking to get into the into the top five rounds, and then their junior year comes around, and they're having all these scout talks, all these scout meetings in the winter and then it's starting to get in their head their 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 advisors talking to them a lot and it's just like they 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 let the draft get in their head that, that's what we say you know like if they're if they're slumping their junior year oh the draft got in their head and that's something i don't want to i don't want to think about during my season I, I, right now i've kind of just set up like short term goals i've just wanted to i wanted to take i, I want to carry my team as far as i can into into our season in the postseason possibly a trip to omaha that's what I'm looking at right now. I'm not trying to think about okay, let's do really well so I can so I can go in the top three rounds like that. I'm just trying to think, start with the short term and then follow that, and and then with the short term goals naturally comes a long term, you know, a long term solution. It's all about the investment for sure. It is. Um, no, that that's really good. Definitely good because you know you do see a lot of people that um, kind of they know what's next and that really does um you know just alter the way that they're they're playing and everything like that and especially as a team too i i think that you know the be- the best teams and you can speak more on this if you want to but the best teams definitely don't think about the guys that are getting drafted or anything like that yeah like i i feel like you know the teams that actually make long runs into the postseason are, are the teams that don't focus on anything but you know, helping out the team. Like they're not focused on themselves. They're not focused on their, on the, on like their selfishness of trying to, trying to do what's best for themselves and get drafted and make a lot of money. I, I mean, I think it's, I think most players will focus on their team and what they can do right now, not what they can do for the future for their team like that. Yeah, definitely. That's a good lesson for life too. I mean, you know, in anything, if you're kind of going in with internal motivation versus kind of taking into consideration the people around you and what they can do for you, it definitely, uh, definitely limits the amount of success that you can kind of have. I, I, I think, I think being, you know, you can't be selfishly motivated, you know, I mean, in, in the end, you know, that's a different conversation, you know, so like 
in the end, I think a lot of people like their actions can be drawn to some selfish original, you know, desire. But, you know, I, I think with teams, you have to, you have to throw those away. You have to put those to the side and focus on the collective. Definitely. You said that um, earlier you were talking about how the thought of this year and like what it could bring is definitely like a big thought and you don't want it to get to your head, but what are some things that you kind of do on the side to get your mind away from that? What, what kind of uh, hobbies that you have? I know that we were speaking about yeah. this last night, but definitely a really interesting uh, topic to uh, speak about. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I try to have a lot of hobbies. I feel like sometimes I have too many, you know, I, I do play some video games, you know, a decent bit of time. Yeah. You know, I'm like any college age person would, you know, especially baseball players. They, you know, with downtime that we have in the off season and stuff, that's, that's like a, a, what a lot of my teammates do. I would say a lot of other college players, you know, that I know from travel ball, they did the same thing. Like everyone, everyone has their general video game playing when they're home and stuff. But um, also, I mean, I, I try to play guitar a little bit and, you know, I try to go golfing and I feel like, I feel like trying to be good at all those is a tough thing to do because I, I don't truly think I could be good at all those things. But I think it's more of not necessarily trying to master those things like I'm trying to master baseball, but trying to have little side hobbies that that I can go to to take my mind off of take my mind off of baseball if if something's not going right or just readjust my 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 thought process before going back into baseball. Yeah, and having multiple hobbies does that for you at least, does that, um, does that allow you to kind of like rekindle that excitement that baseball gives you? Because, you know, when, when things are new, it's really exciting to, uh, you know, to do it. But when you've done it for years and years and years and, you know, you take a break from it, you kind of do miss it or whatever. Do you kind of, you know, get more excited going into a baseball game after you've, taken a break and you've just been doing like these little hobbies that you're not as good at yeah i would say so i see you know i've we've we've been off for i guess about you know three weeks to a month now of not actually being with my team and playing which is you know it it is it is a good break and just focusing on their hobbies it gets me back into it because you know when people take too much time and one thing they get burnt out and they have to go to something else either they go to something else and re- like refresh their desire to do whatever they were doing or they burn out and they and they completely quit it which is something that I definitely don't want to you know happen to me I th- I feel like I have a good good passion for baseball I think it starts more with when you're growing up cuz you all we've all seen those like for example in baseball baseball dads that will just push their kids to the point of them burning out and then by the time they get to high school they quit, you know, I mean, and these dads had dreams of these kids playing college baseball, you know, doing something that probably that they wanted to do, but they couldn't. So they're kind of projecting their, projecting their desires on their, on their kids. And that kind of, that's not good for the kids. I feel like it, it, it will burn them out and they won't actually achieve it without their own passion. That's the issue they burn out because they don't have that, their own, their own desire to do it. It's not, it's not them. It's their, it's their parents or it's someone else that they're trying to impress, you know, yeah, definitely. Do you do you feel like a kid when you play baseball? Yeah, I I try to. I try not to think of it as a job yet. I don't th- I don't think I think I've talked to some, you know, pro players and when when it gets to the point of it being a job, that's when they 
that's when they feel the burnout at, at ages of, you know, 30, whatever, like when they're, when they're, in, when they're deep into their career and they start to think of it, okay, so I'm going into work today. You know, they're not, they're not like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to play baseball today. You know, it's when it becomes a job, that's when it would burn out. But I, I've, I've, I think I've done a good job of staying, keeping my passion. And I've, I don't think I've ever thought about it as a, as a job. You know, I, I've joked about it. I've said, oh, you know, like, with, with a scholarship, it's like, oh, I'm, I have to play baseball to keep the scholarship. You know, I don't like, technically that's true. I do. You know, if I were to quit, I, they could, they could take the scholarship. So I could be stuck, but no one, no one thinks about it like that. You know, you're, it's not like you're forced to do this. You're given the opportunity to. And so I think now I, I think now that I'm, I still I have a good mindset when it comes to baseball. So, so we were talking about this um, kind of jokingly before you got here, but on a serious note, you've been to rehab twice. Mm-hmm. Or actually, not a serious <laughs> note. This is a less serious note, but you've been to rehab twice. Physical rehab. Physical rehab. Physical rehab. Physical rehab. Yes. How do you overcome those adversities? You've you've been really really successful in this, and you know you've so just just talk yeah, about okay. that because so. I mean, my first surgery I had, it was right before, well, it was right at the start of my senior year of high school. It was my, my UCL, I, I had a strain. It wasn't actually torn in any spot, but the gen, like when they opened me up and kind of went in there they said, they, they told me after said, yeah, it was, there wasn't a necessary direct tear anywhere. It was more just little micro strains all around the UCL. So they kind of classified it as like a 25% tear, which still, it bothered me, you know, going into it. So I mean the way I mean the way I actually first felt it was I was at Perfect Game National. I was at I was I was about to go pitch and for my for my two innings, you know. It was just like I mean, you know, I mean, you know Perfect Game National. If for 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 talkers that, you know, for viewers that don't know, um it's a it's like one of the biggest showcases a high schooler can can go to and it's an invite it's an invite only thing. So it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty big honor to go there, and if you perform really well, you get to go to the All American game. I did not make it there, you know, sad, but I was still honored to go to the national showcase, and so I'm going there for the biggest showcase of probably my life. And I'm about to go warm up. I'm doing my bands. I'm stretching. I feel fine, and then all of a sudden, you know, my first toss. I'm throwing from 45 feet, and I'm like, I make my first throw. I'm like, ah, my my elbow's kind of tight. And I was like, I've never felt it before. I, I had thrown actually maybe two weeks before for my travel team. I had felt felt fine. And so it was weird going into it. Just my first throw of the day being, ow, my elbow hurts. Because I had never, never dealt with pain, like any kind of injury, any kind of pain like that before in my career. I think just being young, I just never, never came across to me. So, yeah, and I, I just kept throwing and it kept hurting every time and, you know, I, I still went out and pitched. I still threw my two innings, but after that, my elbow was just like I, I would extend it and it would just shoot pain. It kind of it just felt really really bad. And I tried rehabbing it for a few weeks. I had I still have one more tournament to play in for my travel team, and it still didn't feel good there. So I was like, all right, I need to I need to get this checked out. And I got an MRI, and they and they said, yeah, you're yeah you're, you have a partial tear in your UCL. I'm like, all right, you know, it's fine, I guess. It, it, it you know it kind of it kind of struck me at first. Thinking back now, I'm like, oh, whatever. But 
when I first heard the news, I was, I was, I was, I was freaked out. You know, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I cried a little bit, you know, just cause that's just how I think any player was, would be like that in their first, in their first real pretty serious injury. And so the way I had my surgery was my dad was actually reading this book. It was called the arm. And in, in this book, it, it, it just talks about arm care, you know, arm workload and just potential, just a lot of, a lot of baseball, a lot of pitching, a lot of science in the arm. And there's this one part in the book where it talks about this new surgery called an, um, an internal brace. And it's done, it was done by this guy called, um, Dr. Jeffrey Dugas. He's in Birmingham, Alabama. And he was, he was in this book. And he, my dad was just reading this book just to read this book, you know. It was, it was kind of, it was kind of a coincidence, actually. He, he was just reading this book and read about this doctor. And at the same time, my UCL, I have a partial tear in my UCL. I was like, okay, well, why not try this guy out in this from this book? And so we talked to him, some of the MRIs, and, you know, he, yeah, he, he, he said, you know, come up for a, you know, a checkup for, I guess, for an appointment. And so we went up there and, yeah, he he recommended I have the surgery, and the surgery can only be done on a certain class of pitchers or any any player. You have to be young, so it's 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 all about the health of the tissue. So so being young really helps with with old pitchers who have spent years playing and just tearing their elbow up. Their tissue is not it's 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 weak in there. It's 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 kind of dead. Not not necessarily dead, but just. Not it, it won't have the ability to heal as well as a young arm. You know, P- you know, young people recover way faster than old people. It's, it's the same. It's the same, same idea. And so, the way the surgery works is they put uh, two anchors in my elbow at, at each end of the UCL, and then they line a piece of it's collagen dip fiber tape. I don't necessarily know what collagen is, but it's something in the it's something that the body can it's it's so the body can recognize it not as a foreign object and so it it will stay in stay in stay in your UCL and the UCL actually grows into into the tape because it's it's a porous material so the UCL will grow into it and it overall it strengthens it and it, instead of replacing the UCL like Tommy John where they completely remove it and put the tendons and basically create a new ligament out of something from your leg or a cadaver or something they just instead repair it and so the recovery time is much shorter instead of being a year to a year and a half for tommy john it's about half a year to eight months for an internal brace surgery so yet that's actually if i if i had tommy john there was no shot i was going to be able to come back from my senior year of high school and play and so that was my biggest worry actually when i first heard about my ucl uh tearing was i was just super worried about missing my senior season my, my last year of high school baseball and so that was that was the that was the first instinct thought I think you know looking like short term I, I wasn't thinking oh I'm gonna get my scholarship pulled I'm not gonna be able to play college baseball I was like no I I want to play my high school season you know I really that was that was the main focus so I mean I I, ha- I have my surgery uh it was August seventeenth two thousand seventeen so three years a little over three years from now coming up on four year four in August so but yeah I mean. The, the whole the whole rehab process coming back you know I, I wasn't necessarily I wasn't necessarily trying I, was, I wasn't freaking out the whole time you know I was more just like all right this is something that I had to get done and now it's I was looking ahead of the season I was looking like okay let's get back as strong as I can so I can play my final season of baseball you know 
Yeah, so can you look up what collagen is, by the way? Uh, how long was the rehab on your second surgery? My second surgery, that, I mean, so, I mean, I'm just about done with my recovery, but I had it, I had my surgery in October. It was a, it was a kind of pelvis muscle repair. So the, like, the designation, I guess, the diagnosis, diagnosis for my, for my injury was a sports hernia, which is kind of like a, it's kind of like a misnomer because it's not actually a hernia. Your muscles aren't actually going through the fascia. It's, it's more of a detachment of the muscle from the pelvis. So the way the doctor described it to me is he ma- imagine your pelvis as a baseball. It's pretty, you know, simple for me because it's, you know, but so your pelvis is a baseball. And attached to this baseball are all these muscles, all your your groin muscles, your glute muscles. They're all attached to your pelvis. They're all attached to this baseball, which is your pelvis. And so over time with strain and just maybe possibly some improper movements, these muscles will start to pull on the skin of the baseball, you know. And it will, I guess... So your body will compensate for the for the pull on this on, on on this on this baseball, and so until the point where it can't take anymore and it'll detach. And so that's what happened to me is I had a detachment in in my adductor on my right side, and somewhere in my glute, I believe. But so I had I, I went up there um, about. October. It was in October. It was probably towards the end of October. But I mean, originally this injury started this time last year. You know, December last year, where I was, I was with, uh, I was with our friend Josh. And we were at the Y, and we were doing some, we were doing some rear foot elevated split squats. So your foot's up on a, your foot's up on a bench, you know, and you're squatting like a split squat. And so I'm going down into the split squat, and I feel a little pop. In, in in my right in my, in my right groin at the time and then it it felt terrible you know I, I like i i felt it got up stopped i, I reacted up i'm like oh my god my my groin just popped i think you know and so I, I i tried resting it for a bit and but you know i thought it was just a really bad groin pull and i was tr- working on it i wasn't worried at first i didn't think it was okay this is something serious i was like okay i just just pulled my groin you know and so I was trying to still throw, but also dealing with this groin pull, which I thought at the time, and it just never, never got better. I still had to deal with it in in the spring as well, so it was kind of an it, it, it was it was it was a pretty big issue, you know. And so for, I played, I had four starts this season before uh, COVID canceled our season, you know, which was it was it was a good thing for me. I think you know I was talking to my, to my pitching coach, and we kind of decided like you know this is. This is pretty good for you, even though you know the whole world's gonna fall into a pandemic in, in the next few months. It's not the worst for you. You can you can rehab and you can work on it and do you know kind of I guess soft rehab instead of a very you know intensive surgery. I mean, because I was you know once I once I had the diagnosis, which I found out towards the end of the season before you know before COVID around March. I was like, okay, so I have a sports hernia, and I didn't, I didn't really know what to do about it. I was googling, and they, you know, they're. I was trying to freak myself out, you know. In the end, I probably freaked myself a little too much, but yeah, this it, the the diagnosis was like, yeah, surgery is usually surgery is usually the only way to repair this, and so I'm like, all right, 
I'm going to take the surgery sometime. And so I, after the season ended, I mean, I was just focused on rehab. You know, I didn't want to go to surgery immediately. I wanted to take, see if I could get these three to, you know, three to four months of off time that I wouldn't have normally had because of, you know, I would have, I would have, would have been playing baseball in, in this, by that's, you know, this whole season. So instead I came back here, you came home quarantined. I worked with, uh, these soft tissue ladies and, you know, I, I, I was, I, I was able to rehab it pretty well. I think, you know, I, I went back into Atlanta in the summer and I had felt fine. I was lifting, I was doing running guns. I was throwing hard, you know, and with no pain. So I was like, okay, this is just a little injury and now it's, it's now it's healed up. And so I, I felt, I had felt fine going into the fall. And then I was, you know, I was throwing in scrimmages, inner squads, I was doing fine. And then I remember one day after I pitched, I, I was doing some sprints for, for some recovery. And it was, and, and this was the first time I actually, I'm looking back now and this is like the first time I actually did sprints since like I, I had, I had hurt myself. And when I was running, I, I, I felt, I felt it again, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, you know, I'm like, is this really back again? And then, yeah. So like, I just, I went to my trainer. I'm like, yeah, I, th- I feel like my, my hips messed up again, my groin and said, okay, we'll get your MRI and we'll get it checked out. And so, yeah, he, he, I looked, I got the MRI and they're like, yeah, it's, it's back. And so I had my surgery in October back to, you know, going back to October. And so now currently I'm, about eight or nine weeks out now, I feel, I feel a lot better. This was, this was a much more minor surgery, I would say, you know, I also, I mean, having the experience from my, from my elbow injury, you know, and my, my mindset was completely different. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't really as phased, I would say, you know, it it was a much more minor surgery. The recovery time is much shorter. Talking like coaches, they're like, yeah, just if you, if you can get, if they offer the surgery, you should, you should get it because, I'd rather be healthy in the spring rather than, you know, the other option of just going back to rehab and trying to, trying to, you know, do some physical treatment to heal it enough to play in the spring and with, with but also with the, with the potential of re-injuring it again, like I re-injured it in the fall. So I just decided, you know, with the coaches, yeah, I should, I should go get surgery and just be, be completely healthy for the spring, which is what I did. And so, I yeah I wasn't I wasn't really as wasn't really as worried you know for for like oh the ideas of oh I might miss the season I might you know like I might not be able to play I might not get drafted things like that I wasn't I wasn't I have not really put much thought into those things because I have already been through a much more major surgery in my past and to, and learning from that experience you know it's just you you can always work your way out of things. I think, you know, I think you can always, there's always something you can do to get back. Definitely. Especially when you want it. Yeah. So you were talking about, this was just like right around the lockdown time, right? Yeah. Right around it. What other things were you kind of doing to kind of stay ahead of everyone or, you know, um, just kind of be productive? Yeah. You know, I mean, quarantine was, it was a very interesting time for everyone. You know, I mean, I, I was looking to try to win an ACC tournament. You know, we had, we had a pretty solid team this, well, I guess last year now it's 2021 now, but yeah, last year we had a, we we had a pretty solid team and we could have made a good big run, but we just, you know, with COVID getting shut down, I just, instead of, 
instead of playing, uh, we're actually going to play FSU. We were supposed to leave. It was it was a crazy day, actually. Wow. Um, thinking about that now, I remember I was I I went to get lunch, uh, at our at our cafeteria, and, and like my friends were talking to me, and they're like, "Yeah, there's there's no shot. We're going to FSU today." It was it was a Thursday. I remember it exactly. It was a Thursday. We were going to go to FSU that day. We were supposed to leave around three o'clock and play a weekend series against FSU. And so I'm all packed up. I'm my stuff's at the field. I'm waiting. I'm waiting to go. I'm getting some food before I go. And then we get to the field and we're just sitting there. And we're and I'm like, are we gonna pack the bus? And our coach are like, no, we have to sit here and wait. because like this was all. This is right, right around when I think Rudy, Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gobert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm not big of a much of a basketball guy, but I'm. That was the day after, day before, or day of that he tested positive, and then everything was getting shut down like dominoes. You know, it was like oh, NBA shut down, MLB shut down, everything. It, it just kept going down, and that was that was right around this time, and so. After that, the NCAA and ACC were all like, okay, we need to get together right now and decide what we're going to do about this, you know, about this, you know, future pandemic coming, coming to the world, you know? And so we're just sitting in our locker room waiting for our coaches. Our coaches are on a call with all the other ACC coaches and the NCAA deciding, okay, what are we going to do about, about this situation that's going on? And so we're sitting there and, we were there for probably about two hours. And this was two hours after we were supposed to leave. And we're just sitting there waiting. And then they come in here. They come into our locker room. We're sitting. We're just sitting down. No one's saying a word. You know, we're just, we don't, we don't know what's going on. This is like when it's, when it's all about, when it's all about to hit, you know. And they come in and they say, we're not going to FSU. Pack up your stuff and just, just go home for now and wait to what we say. Wow. Yeah. It's funny because I believe we were supposed to watch you play at Florida State. Yeah. And I ran into Bryce Hubbard. Shout out Bryce Hubbard, left-handed pitcher from Florida State. Um, if you're if you're listening to this, I hope you are. Um, hit me up. We we want to have a podcast with you too. Um, anyway, going back to this. So I ran into him and I believe, if I remember correctly, if it's the right time, we or they were supposed to go to like Jacksonville or something and play, and that ended up getting canceled. Like I just ran into him on campus. Mm-hmm. And, um, I believe it was like that week, but you know, it, it was funny that like all this kind of transpired cause you know, he just started his season too and that was his freshman season. So, you know, was, if only, if only we could have seen you play there, but we're definitely going to come back for, uh, you yeah, know, I think the round one, I think because you guys are in a, are a different division than us in the ACC, we play you guys every every other year instead of every year. So no not, way. So I, don't, I don't think we're playing uh, FSU this year, which is tough. You know, I've I wanted to go to FSU because all, you know, a, a lot a, a lot of my friends are at FSU. I wanted to go down there. I've been to Tallahassee once, and I wanted to, I wanted to go back and see everyone, which is you know w- w- would have been fun. I was I was looking forward to it. I I thought that day I was like, you know. Yeah, you know, I I told uh I told Sam, you know, my my uh, you know, ex-girlfriend from high school that I'm still friends with now. I was like, I'll see you tomorrow. Uh, I told her that on on Wednesday night cuz I, I I was going to hang out with her when yeah. we got there and it just didn't happen. It was crazy. But, but I I remember I said I was like I'll see you tomorrow and it just it just didn't happen, you know. And I mean, it was just kind of crazy just how how it just everything just immediately went 
into just crazy mode, you know? It was just like, all right, the, like the whole world's about to change in about a week, you know? And But for me, it was more of like a, it was just like a, in, in one day, it was a third, it, it was that one Thursday that just really, really just put the whole world into perspective. Like, wow, this is, this is serious. It's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Weren't you playing like a bunch of, uh, tennis and basketball over the lockdown? Oh, or yeah. What, 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 what were you up to? <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, after going home, after all this had happened, yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I tried to work out a little bit. Mainly the main focus was rehabbing my groin, but I was able to, you know, being home in such a weird time, it was just like, what do we do? So, couldn't go out anywhere. This was, we couldn't really do anything. Everything was shut down. And so, we just you know, hung out, played, played some basketball with, you know, high school friends. It was really fun playing some tennis, just trying to stay active outside while, you know, you can't, you can't do, you can't go anywhere. You can't do much. You know, I would take the paddle boards out on the lake and just, it was, it was, it was still incredibly hot in Florida. So that was, that was, that was great, you know, but yeah, I mean, just thinking about it now that that whole quarantine is more of a blur to me i it kind of just went back so i just wasn't really in that right state of mind to really process what was ha- like i i wasn't really thinking about much what was happening all around the world as i'm just taking my paddleboard on the lake you know i i wasn't thinking about much so it was just it was it was just a very unplanned like unplanned summer almost it was it was almost a whole summer that we were in like a solid month to two months that we were truly quarantining, you know? Yeah. Let's, let's clear something up right here. So you were around people that were also like quarantining and everything. Obviously everything was in lockdown, but you know, when he's saying that you're playing tennis or basketball or something like that, you're playing with, you know, close friends, basically family who are doing the same thing, kind of practicing those, those precautions and things like that. And you know, I mean, with young people, you know, it's, it's, it's it's not as much of a it's not as much of a hazard to them. So I mean, still with that in mind, I'm still I'm I I I, I would say I played it smart, you know, over a quarantine. I, I wasn't trying to go out and just do as much as I could. I was trying to stay just stay close because back then, you know, I I had, I had no clue truly like what it would do to me. Now, you know, we've kind of got a better a better understanding of the virus and how it affects people and how we treat it and stuff. But back you know back in March, we had we had no clue what we were about to get into. And so it was just like, play it, play it, play it as safe as you can until people, until the scientists get an understanding of what's going on. And so, yeah, I mean, just, I would just see close friends, you know, just people that like, we would only see each other, you know, it was just, we would only, it was like your own little bubble. Yeah. It was our own little bubble. Exactly. Yeah. We just, we just had our own little bubble and we, and we just did our own things. You know, it was, it was a fun two to three months being back here. You know, I, I, I enjoy, I enjoyed the off time. It was unexpected, but I think I, I think I made the best of it. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so at Georgia Tech, do you have a lot of, a lot of like dot, like medical or friends in the medical field? Not as much. There is a pre-med, um, route you can take but it's more of an engineering focused school but i mean still we i'm pretty sure we have our own covid testing like our our research labs have like developed covid testing for um just the school i guess and i mean i i guess maybe the surrounding area but yeah the way 
like they've our school's done a lot with COVID. I would say, you know, just being a just a tech school, you're really invested in all the sciences and engineering, and so like the world kind of looks to universities like that to do their part and kind of step like step in and like develop research, like, like research the virus, research testing, research methods of prevention and, you know, treatment and stuff like that. And so like, I, I remember once in the summer we had, we had to get tested once and it was, and it was the swab test where they stick the swab all up your nose and it stings like crazy. But now I think they've, they they kind of developed their own test where you only have to put in like a little bit of spit. It's it's a, it's a mouth test, and I remember I remember so it went from like a a nose swab to a much to a pretty a pretty large you know saliva test, and so now to where we get tested weekly at school, to where it's like I you know I I don't know the measurements, but it's maybe about a millimeter to two millimeters of spit. And that's, it's about it. It's, 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 and that's all I need to get tested. And it's much easier now to get tested. I would say than a nose swab. If, if I had to do a nose swab every week, I would, I would, I, I would not, I would not be about that. You know, I would, that would, it, you know, I would do it because we have to, but I'm glad that we have much easier methods to get tested now. Yeah. It, it's really, it's really crazy how, fast everything kind of um yeah the whole world put their focus on 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 the virus now that it's it's the main topic of you know of just global global issues and stuff and so we all had to put our put our minds together and just get through this as fast as we can i would say kind of dive into what you're studying at george tech okay so currently i'm doing aerospace engineering um it's Right now, I'm, I've just been getting into my major courses. I've these past two years it was more of like a core general education of physics, you know, physics two, calculus. I got into calculus three. That was the last calculus I had to take. Um, so I had, I had, I from these past years, I got the math, all the math and science requirements down to allow me to take these next classes because all of my classes now build off of. The things I learned in these past two years, like learning about, you know, I mean, integrals, I, t I take loads of integrals and just, I don't even think about them now. They're more of like a, like when you add or subtract, like that's, that's what integrals kind of are to me. It's like, you have to, like each little problem that you're doing in requires a high level of math compared to, you know, compared to like a high school degree and you learn all that in your first two years. And so I would say that this past fall was where I finally got into straight aerospace, you know, I would say. So also with this semester being online, it was a lot tougher for me because for some of my teammates, like they're uh, business majors, a lot of the stuff that the teachers teach them is based on a PowerPoint. So they just read the PowerPoint and everything is everything you need to know to pass the class is on that PowerPoint. And that's not the case for the classes I was taking, mine was like, they would give you the information, but it was up to you to kind of divulge, like kind of go into that and take like the main points out. Like they would give you concepts and then they'd give you the questions would be like, they would test how you can apply those concepts. It not necessarily the answer to this question is this from the, like straight from the PowerPoint, you know? So it was a lot tougher being online because I couldn't really ask questions like 
So for one of my classes this fall, I took thermodynamics, which is, it's, it's the, I don't know, I forgot the word for it, but it's, oh, it's the weed out class of, of aerospace, of like aerospace at tech. So it's like, if, if you fail that class, you know, you, you're going to switch majors. That's how it works. And so I was going into it being an online semester, this being the first weed out class I've really gotten into. I was kind of, I was kind of, I was kind of stressed out about it going into it because I just did not know what to expect. And then, you know, it, it did turn out to be a pretty tough class for me because the way we worked for that class was we had to watch videos of lectures. And that was the way we learned is we would watch these lectures that had, were pre-recorded by our teacher and they had quizzes on them. And these quizzes, like, they would just, like, he would, it seemed almost like he'd say something word for word in the video. And then he would go and ask, and this question would pop up. And it looks like it's a word for word question. You put it and you put your answer down and then you finish the video and then, oh, it's wrong. And you're just like, what? And then the worst thing about it was they wouldn't give you the right answer. So you would just, you just be like, all right, I got a 50 on this quiz. And just, it's like, all right, that's, I, I can't go back. I don't know what I did wrong. I don't, I don't know what the right answer was, whatever. You know, and, I, and that was really tough because you couldn't ask questions that you could if you were in a normal class. It's like, okay, I originally thought it was this and I still think it's this, but I know it's not right. And so it was just, it was a much tougher way to learn in this, in this fall, this weird fall that we had. And so, I mean, that was one of the main classes I was really worried about. I mean, and coming to the midterm, my first midterm, I did pretty well. My second one, I got a D on it, you know, so I was a little worried. I was sporting like a, I was sporting like a 70 in the class. So I was just on the border of just failing this class. And so I tried to pick it up in the, in the end of my semester. And, you know, I did finish with the B, which I was really happy about. But I, I, I truly, I don't, I don't want to say I don't know how I did it, but it was, it, it, it was, I, I was, I was very shocked, I guess, to get it, to get a B. I was, I was shooting for a C. I would, I, I remember I was typing in my grades on the, on, on this grade calculator trying to figure out, all right, what do I need to, get a 70, just, just a 70 in this class. And it was like, all right, you need an 85 to get a 70. <laughs> and so, you know, it was just like, all right, I have to really, really put, put my mind to this now and get it done, you know? And I think the biggest thing with like taking classes with baseball as well is like time management. You have to do well, you have to do a lot to manage your time. And I think I manage, I think I manage it pretty well. I think baseball is kind of kind of set up times for me naturally to do my stuff. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll go work out at seven in the morning and then I have class from eight to 12. Okay. So you're doing homework. Well, I guess, and then practice, you have practice from one thirty to four, four, not even four thirty, probably five thirty six. you know, and you get back and it's like, all right, that's when you can do your homework. Your homework time is from six to, from six to eight, six to nine around there, you know, you, so it kind of lines out a schedule for you baseball. And so I think, you know, that kind of helped me manage my time pretty well. I, like I understand that I have to get things and I can't lay things off. My my rule for doing homework and assignments was I would give myself a day. I, I would do the assignment a day before it was due. I'd finish it the a day before just so in case if I had – and in case I didn't have time for one day, oh, I still have an extra day ahead of me. And I and I tried to keep that up for the entire semester, which I, I'm pretty sure I did. There was only a few times where I had to take that extra day 
to actually get the work done. But that was, that was my biggest thing was trying to man, manage my time, but also deal with these really hard classes. And so, yeah. So going into time management, um, you know, if you step into somebody's shoes that, you know, you're, you're, they're not playing baseball or they're not doing something that is consuming as much time. How do you, how would you manage that much time when you have an I, excess of time yeah, versus that, not I mean, enough? Yeah. I was, I was, I'm actually about to get into that because, um, like it's funny. So our fall season, we had a fall season from about August to, you know, October, uh, Halloween was actually the day our season, our fall season ended. So we had from November to December of just, all you would do is just lift or run once a day, you know, and that was was it. And so that's the time when there's, when I kind of go, when I kind of step into those shoes of, all right, I don't have much to do during, during the day. And, you know, but still I would take that time management with me from baseball. And when I did that, it was, it's kind of crazy. We all talk about it. Our teammates, it's like, it's crazy how much time there is in the day if you aren't like if you don't play a sport if you don't have if you have an excess of time it's it's usually an incredible amount of time to get your things done like I would still do my homework at the I would actually try to get it done earlier now that you know I didn't have practice and stuff so I'd get my homework done probably midday and just have all of my day to spend and I'm like I'm like I'm like what do I do with my time you know like once baseball ends and you're still like anything if you're if you have an excess of time if you can just block out certain amounts of time to get things done you'd be surprised at how much how much extra time there is in a day to do things yeah that's actually kind of this is a byproduct of that we um you know try to be more productive this fall than we were you know in the past year and we found ourselves sitting down doing nothing just kind of watching tv or playing video games and we're just like dang you know we have all this time yeah but we're not really doing anything with it so you know with that we kind of wanted something to fill up some time and this is kind of what came out of it which is which is kind of interesting that you're talking about that what do you what do you think what do you think you would do if you just had an excess of time so i mean if i wasn't playing baseball i guess like that kind of thing um i would probably I'd focus way more on aerospace. You know, I, I still put a good amount of focus into it. I still want to get good grades. I, you know, this table's wood. You know, I, I haven't made a C yet in school. I'm not trying to. So I, I've, I've still been able to manage my time really well. But if I didn't, I would, I'd probably put even, put even more focus into school because school without baseball, I mean, school's all I have, you know, to, if, if I'm at, if I'm in Atlanta, if I'm at tech taking classes, there's no baseball. I'm just doing school. So it's like, I would probably put way more time into school, but then also go to, to more of my hobbies. You know, like I'd probably try to learn learn guitar a bit more, get get it get it put it. I guess take it a little more seriously now, because I mean, I kind of just do it to have fun. I, I enjoy to play it, so I would probably take that more seriously. I would just get more into my hobbies. I would say because you know I still have these hobbies that I can still go to away from baseball, and and if baseball's not there, then those things are the, are, are my main points of interest, you know, to, to work on with my, with the excess time that I have from not playing baseball or getting all my work done, stuff like that. So you said you just started to uh, play the guitar, right? Uh, yeah, about, about a year ago now, I was just home and I was just, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And I always had a, 
there's always a, like a guitar singing in my room because my my dad got it for my mom for uh, their anniversary and she just she just never played it and so I was like all right well, I mean it's been it's been my room forever because that's just that's just where they kept it and I was like all right I'll just I had nothing to do why not try you know because I I always thought like I might try to want to learn it when I'm forty or something forty you know I I see there's like older people that want to pick up that pick up the guitar and kind of just try it just because they want to and it's, you know i i don't want to get to that point where i'm like kind of old and just don't know anything about the guitar and anything like that so i kind of just decided like why not try to learn now so if but potentially if i'm 40 and i keep doing it i'll be i'll be able to play it pretty well you know definitely so if you know are you going to trend if you have enough time mm-hmm. are you going to try and make the intro jingle for ahead of the count podcast I could, you know, I've, it's a lot more of like, I don't have that music theory background, you know, so I just, I just try to watch YouTube videos and just kind of figure things out like that way, like by myself, which I, I've, I've done pretty well so far. I think, you know, I've, I've learned a few, few songs and stuff like that and try to learn about not just how to play the song, but also the things that are behind the song, like the chords, the progression, the melody, the rhythm, all working in technique, all that stuff. And that comes with learning songs and stuff. But I think my next step is more to learn about like, like, Im- like improv, I guess improv, I- improvisation, so- stuff like that, working on making my own stuff rather than like just learning things that have been already, already been made for me. And I guess, you know, trying to, trying to make that jingle, would be, it would be tough, but I think in the next few months, if I just keep at it, I could just learn that background and how to make things sound good together, you know, and stuff like that. And I don't know, kind of what, what like, what, what, like what genre of, uh, what, what genre of a jingle would you guys like, man? So I'm thinking if, if people are listening to this podcast right now, hopefully we have some sort of like lo-fi elevator music playing. Lo-fi with elevator. It. Okay. But you know, we want something a little bit upbeat to, to start it. Yeah, of course. So, you know, just anything that's like pretty welcoming to a lot of people, you know, grab people's attention and stuff. But to anybody listening, if you do produce music and you want to compete with a uh, baseball player on <laughs> the make, jingle. And make some songs. You know, if you want to hear it, we're looking for a jingle. So just uh, hit us up in the DMs okay. or something like that. Definitely. Um, going back to what we were saying, Andrew has actually uh, been playing guitar for how long how long have you been playing for um i've been playing on and off since i was in middle school so probably like five six years now um and sammy so actually the one that got me into it fonville really? yeah because cool. it's actually very similar to your story my for christmas my mom got my brother it's a big acoustic guitar he never played it so um after it was just sitting around Sammy was actually pretty good at guitar and he just kind of gave me some lessons to start off. And then I went on YouTube, um, learned, you know, chords, uh, you know, just songs that I liked. Um, I would definitely like to be better. I don't consider myself, you know, that good at guitar. I can play, you know, some stuff. Um, do you play like electric or acoustic? Yeah, I play electric because I, I mean, I, I, I play lefty too. It's kind of, it's kind of tough. Yeah. Like, I don't. I just always felt that was more comfortable for me playing with my right hand fretting, which is kind of tough because I'm a pitcher too. So I, I have like these calluses on my hands. Yeah, you get you get pretty nasty yeah. calluses. So on your t- t- yeah, t- I, t- the acoustics a lot tougher to play because it's like a, 
the, you have to press down a lot harder and everything and yeah. it's more you, you can't get as much into it yeah so i actually have an electric guitar as well mm-hmm. um but i was talking i forgot who i was talking to this about but they were like if you play the acoustic guitar and then go to electric it's pretty much like going from like hard mode to like easy mode yeah i i could honestly see that like if you practice on acoustic yeah. which it kind of is annoying but i was like i never thought of it yeah. that way but. i mean i i have an acoustic at home as well like it was my dad's and i flipped the strings over so i could play it and so like I, at first that's all i had so i was like like these first few weeks being home so i, I would just play the acoustic and just kind of strum with it because I, I i mean i like to play more of like I don't know, like bluesy, bluesy rock stuff, you know, just like with the electric. Cause it's much easier to fret down, much easier to put chords down. But yeah, with, with the acoustic, it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot tougher to like, cause you, you have to press them down a lot, a lot harder and it puts more stress on your fingers and stuff. And it kind of like, you, you'll, you'll feel your fingers kind of hurting after playing for a bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> but yeah, the guitar is sick. Um, it is, it, it, it's a fun thing to do, you know, it, it's like a good, it's, it's a good hobby to have. Cause it's like, it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's very frustrating, but in the end it's when you can actually make something that, that sounds good to you, that you enjoy to, to, to play. It's like, it's, it's a pretty re- rewarding feeling. It's definitely like, it clears your mind too. And yeah. kind of just like relieves stress when you just go in there and you're just playing, you know? Yeah. You're not, you're not mindlessly. Thinking. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, you're not just, thinking about anything. You're just you're just thinking about playing like you're just you're let you're letting you're letting your mind go you're letting you, you just you just do whatever you want which is fun yeah we were talking about this too yesterday but um you definitely do know that um you're doing something that you enjoy and you're doing something that you know you love to do yeah. when you're not keeping track of time and you know doing different hobbies and trying different things out i definitely think that that uh plays a big role into just kind of finding out who you are as a person and to find those you know hobbies that you know you're not keeping track of time you're just yeah. kind of going and doing it that that's definitely the the right things to be doing yeah you know when you lose track of time that's when you that's when you know you really like it is when you're not thinking about all right i'm gonna if for example i mean if you take guitar all right i'm gonna play guitar today for 30 minutes and if you're somehow looking at the clock and you're like all right is it 30 minutes yet you're not like like you don't like that you don't enjoy that like i would for me i i just go and i and i just sit down and i and i just play as much as I want whenever I'm whenever I'm I'm done with it you know I'll stop and I'll go do something else it's like as long as you want to do it you do it you do, you're not forced to you know I've always seen like videos and stuff for practicing guitar and trying to get better it's like oh you need to practice for at least 30 minutes a day if I don't even want to do that I don't have to you know because I it's it's you know I'm compared to baseball it's 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 a hobby you know it's not it's necessarily a passion it's I do enjoy to play it a lot but it's not as much of a I guess I guess importance, you know, it's something that I enjoy. It's, I don't need to do it. I want to do it. And as long as, and I only, I only do as much as I want to like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So for somebody that is looking to find their passion, they don't really know what direction they want to go. What kind of advice do you have coming from somebody that has found their passion? Kind of, you have an, you obviously have an idea of who you are as a person and things Mm -hmm. like that. What would you say to them? I, I don't think you need to go actively search for things. I think things will naturally come to you as passions. I don't, you know, in terms of baseball, I couldn't tell you when I was like, all right, I need to play baseball. I need to do this. You know, it's like I started as a kid and I just, I wanted to do it. You know, I mean, 
I remember my, my mom was funny. Like she always like I played all the sports, you know, like everyone like everyone did growing up. And my mom always said like I was into baseball the most, and so I don't necessarily remember that now being however, however long ago that was. Maybe I was maybe started at like six, five or six years old. I don't remember thinking, oh, I enjoy baseball the most. You know, I don't think like, oh, this is my passion. I'll play college baseball. Yeah. You know, it kind of just comes and it grows. It doesn't it doesn't start out immediately as a burning passion, but I think things will, you will naturally draw yourself towards things that you can see yourself possibly having a future in, you know, or just things that you enjoy and you keep doing these things that you enjoy and then eventually that passion, it, it'll, it'll grow on to you. You know, I don't think when I started playing guitar, I was like, oh, I'm going to stick with this forever. You know, I'm going to do all this. I'm just like, this looks fun. I'm going to try it out and see, see if I like it. You know, it, like I kind of, I kind of gravitated towards, you know, playing the guitar and stuff like that or playing baseball or I just kind of gravitated towards these things that I enjoy, which I think everyone needs to, I feel like people need to have hobbies and passions and stuff like that. Cause that, that's a, that's what kind of makes us worthwhile around, you know, like you, when you're here on earth, you know, you just, you do what you want. You do what you, you do what you want to do. You know, you don't let anyone force you into anything. You, you want to have like, you want to have a passion. You, you, you want to, have things that you like to do that make your time here worthwhile. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, kind of going off that you look at some people, you know, they have all the money in the world, but they're not happy. And mm -hmm. that's because, you know, maybe they're good at something. They don't necessarily enjoy doing it, but then, you know, some other people, they, they're perfectly fine with being in some like shack somewhere like, you know, and they're happy and they're happy because yeah. that's, that's what they want to do. You know, um, there's no monetary value to finding your dream or anything like that. Not, yeah, it's, not at all. I I don't think you can. I don't think you can necessarily buy a passion. You know, I mean, you can buy things that can help your passion. Like you could buy a guitar like that, or you could buy baseball equipment or something like like that, or just anything. I mean, you can you can buy things that help your passion, but in the end, like just having money is nothing because. What are you, what are you holding that money for? Like, are, what are you, what are you going to, what are you going to spend it on? You know, not necessarily trying to blow all your money, but the point of like having money is just, it's, if you just have it, it means nothing. You're not using it. You know, you're not, you're not trying to pursue anything with the money that you have. And that's why they're not happy. Definitely. And, you know, kind of going off that, I, I think a lot of people our age, um, can learn from this lesson, can take a, a lot of yeah, different, see. just a, different perspectives from it because so many people kind of get confused with, um, you know, what they want to do and how much money, I mean, not confused, but they, they really think that like what's going to drive them is the money. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, to going off your point, I just, it's hard for me to really grasp the fact that you're going to be happy with x amount of dollars in your bank account yeah but you're not doing what you love you just know you're going to make money doing it and yeah like it's not like if your passion's making money then somehow you know then do whatever you want to make that money somehow you know but like it i don't think most people think like that i don't think most people just want to, to only get money i think they want there's something under that there's some there's some desire under that and once they get that money and there's and they're like, all right, now what? You know, yeah. it's like, what do you, what do you do? You know, I think people have to have like active things, not just the idea of collecting loads of money. You know, 
like if if you if you run a if you work a terrible job and you're making lots of money, you're definitely not going to be happy. I mean, you're gonna have some money. You can maybe spend that on something that you do enjoy doing, but in the end, you're not going to be happy. I think, I think you know, doing what you doing what you love is like the most important thing. You know, I mean, it's very very cliche to say, you know, but like it's. I mean, I I I truly think it's true. You know, I think that if you 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 need to do whatever you want to do. You know, you need to have whatever passion that you have, and just you stick with it. You don't you don't you don't drop it because it's not, it's not the, I guess, best move in your life to make, you know, but if it makes you the happiest, then that's, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of looking at your whole story and where you are and, you know, where you could potentially go pretty soon. Um, you know, that kind of does have, it, it gives your word some validity behind it. Cause I, knowing you for as long as I have, I don't think that and you can speak on this okay. just to, you know, make yeah. sure, but I don't really, I don't see that you've really thought about, you know, the money side of the baseball at all. Like you just enjoy it. You just yeah, enjoy playing I do. Baseball. Yeah, I, I do a lot. I mean, I've been playing it since I was a kid and it's just like baseball has opened so many doors for me, you know, and like, I don't necessarily want to say I'm drawn just to only that perspective, but you know, it's a big part of baseball. Just like thinking about the places where I what where I've been just because of baseball, you know, like there's loads of places that I would have never even been close to, you know, I mean, even for example, summer ball, I played in Macon, Georgia for, I was in Macon, Georgia for two months, um, summer after my freshman year. So 2019 summer. And I just, I, I what, what they would do is they would, they would bus us all around. It was, the, the scheduling was crazy because it, it was a for-profit league. And so, they're trying to make as much money as they can. So the, the way the way they do that is they make everything for the players basically as cheap as they can. So what we would do is we would bus every game's at seven o'clock at night, and it doesn't matter you know where you're at. So our average drive was about like four hours, and we would bus. So we get on the bus at two, and no, not even two, probably one, and we'd go up to there, up to this like we would go up to this some random town, you know, and. North Carolina or South Carolina or somewhere in Georgia, somewhere all, you know, like we, I, I, for my summer, we just went all around just bussing and we'd play a game and we'd drive right back. So we'd get out at like, we'd game would start at seven. We get out at 1030. They give us some pizza and we'd bus back and we'd get, we get, I'd get home at like three in the morning and I, I loved it. You know, like even though it was, even though it was a pretty tough, you know, experience on just like your body, just like never being able to stay a night or just like get some good sleep, you know, but I mean, it was, it it was still a great time. You know, I I, I would do it again. I think just the experience of just being able to go places and just see like every, like just see different types of people everywhere. Like I remember on 4th of July, like went to this, um, went to this place in North Carolina called Gastonia and, all right, and we went all the way there for the game for the game to get rained out in in two innings, you know, and it was just like we we drove we drove four hours up there and just got rained out, and it's like it's like this is how I'm spending my Fourth of July, you know, but I didn't care, I loved it, and like just seeing all these, it was this one small town, they just like all went on the field and just like they they I think they just played like they like slid in the tarp, it was just like. It was it was just it was just fun to watch. You know, like everyone's just enjoying their time and stuff, and just seeing like 
those small towns and just like how people live that you'd never ever meet if it wasn't for like for me, I mean, I wouldn't, I would never have been in that city. I don't know if I'll be there again if it wasn't for baseball, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily like a very interesting or cool place to be, but it's a, it's definitely a, it's, it's a place where you can just like look at the world from a different view. You just, it's a whole different world out there. You know, it's, it's, it's a different place, different people, different lifestyle. And it's just like, I would never have seen those things without baseball. And so it's, it's, it's just a cool thing to think about, about how many places I've been and will go because of the sport I play. Yeah. Going off that, I mean, hopefully the people listening aren't all 100% just baseball people. If it is, that's fine. And, you know, we welcome that, but, um, you know, what are the, what are the biggest life lessons you've kind of learned from doing those things and having those experiences where, you know, you're going somewhere and you are, uh, you're completely out of your comfort zone. You know, you know, you're almost vulnerable in a sense, just because you were so far away from what, you know, what kind of, what kind of things have you learned doing that? I mean, when you're out of your comfort zone, I think, I mean, the most important thing, even though you're out of your comfort zone is stay within yourself. It's, it seems kind of backwards, but the most important thing when you're out of there is just out of your comfort zone is just remember where you were, where you came from, you don't want to do anything extra. You don't want to do too much. You know, you don't want to do something you wouldn't normally do just because you're out of your comfort zone. You know, like for pitching, for example, if I'm starting and I'm like freaking out because of a start or something like that, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything extra. I still want to maintain the things I've done. I've practiced that I've tried to perfect over my years of, excuse me, of, of playing. And I mean, just taking that to life, like you never like in your passion or in your job or anything, like if you're ever at your comfort zone, just you need to look back to your past experiences and take those as some, some of your own like internal wisdom, you know, so that you can apply to this situation. And once you apply it and you get out of the situation, your comfort zone expands and you're now able to like, you know, if you come back to the situation again, you're already, you're back in your comfort zone because you've, you've done, you've ran through this once you can do it again. You know, like taking that maybe for an example in baseball, like, so my freshman year, I was, I had like issues with like my mental game. Like I would, I would freak out before college start. Cause I'm like, I, I, I wasn't able to take control of the whole picture. You know, like I wasn't able to like, just like I would, I would, ju- I would just freak out. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready for the, for the situation, for the bigger stage that I was just kind of thrown into. It seemed, and so it was just like I, I would try to do, I would, I would try to do too much. I would try to freak out. I would, I would mess up. You know, I, I wouldn't perform well, and so, but like the way I worked on that was, I would work on meditation and keeping a quiet mind when I pitched. Because looking back to my high school days, where I had a pretty successful career. I wouldn't, I, I don't remember a single time stressing out, you know, in playoffs or anything. Like, I don't remember freaking out before an elimination game where it was my last chance to play high school baseball. I don't remember that at all. You know, I don't remember freaking out in the slightest, but I get, I get to my first college game where I have an entire, like, f- potential four years ahead of me and I'm freaking out. You know, it's like my first day. I need to take it easy. I need to look back and look at my past experiences and just kind of be like, hey, like, you know how to pitch, you know, you know how to do this. Like, 
there this is this is the exact same setup you're just you're letting the, the situation get to to the best of you and so i kind of grasped that mid season and i kind of i was able to just go back to what i've been doing in high school and just have a quiet mind and just do what i can you know the real my my biggest test i would say was probably my it was it was probably just after midseason. We played against Georgia at SunTrust Park, which is now Truist Park. It's the Brave Stadium, and it's like our big like rivalry game. And so we had played two games before, and it was we won one and we lost, and then we lost one. So this was the this is like the the uh, rubber match. This was going to decide all right who who won the series this year. And it's a big rivalry, Georgia Tech and Georgia for us at least. You know, I don't know about Georgia, but. For our history school, it was a pretty big thing, and I had to start this game at SunTrust Park. I I was, it was on a I think it was like a Tuesday, and there were nineteen thousand people in the stands, and I'm like freaking out because I'm about to pitch in a major league park in front of nineteen thousand people against one of the best teams in the nation as a freshman. I'm just like, that's way out of the comfort zone, you know. Like imagine putting your putting yourself in those shoes. It's just like the crowd's cheering. You can't. Like you just try to have that tunnel vision on on the on the catcher because you don't want you don't want to look around you know I, I didn't want to look around at all I didn't want to have you know that first inning just go bad and get pulled in front of all those people and just like you know fail myself but I I, don't, I didn't think about that you know I'm trying to think just have a quiet mind and just do what you've been doing your entire life and that's that's what I did and that was like the truly that was truly like like the biggest step I made in my in my baseball career in terms of like mentality and just like being okay with being out of your comfort zone. Cause that was a freaky situation. You know, high school, you had 50, 50 people maybe at most in the stands. Now you have 19,000 and it's like, what do you do? And you just have to still, it's the same. You're still throwing the ball across the plate. You're still trying to, you're, you're still trying to get however many outs you need, you know, you're trying to help your team in any way, either, either situation, you know? And so like, Looking at that now, it's just like it was. It, it was a crazy experience, you know. But it definitely taught me some lessons. It taught me that even though you're out of your comfort zone, don't do anything extra. You need to stay within yourself. And then once you're out of there, once you're once you're past that moment, it's part of your comfort zone. Like I could, do, I feel like I could do that again and be fine. You know, it's just something that you gain, and now it's it's just with you forever. And then that also applies to any anything in your life. Just that's just one example from baseball, but. Once you're out, of, once you are past this hard event or this situation that you're in, this uncomfortable situation, that up that new situation becomes your comfort zone, and you just you gain the wisdom from that. You understand what happened there, and like what, um, what do I need to say? Like, just to kind of like you know, yeah, interject, um. It's 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 an interesting topic just because a lot of uh, at least from my experience I I don't think I've ever really understood what a comfort zone was until I started doing things that made me feel um uncomfortable and I'm I'm not saying like bad things I'm just saying you know things anything to, just taking life. risks yeah. you know um and going off what you're saying with comfort zones is you don't even know what you're comfortable with or uncomfortable with until you kind of push those limits yeah you don't know how comfortable you are until you become until you feel out of place you know until you 
until you feel like all right, now I'm uncomfortable. Because, I mean, you'll feel fine up until that point, and then it just it flicks, you know, and then you're uncomfortable, and it's like, what do you do? But you still you just need to focus and just stay in that Stay where you were. Like, remember where you were, remember where you came from, you know? Remember everything that you've learned, everything that you've applied to what you've been doing, and just just stick with it, nothing extra. And once you're out of that, it's it's the same thing. It, it, it becomes part of your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, just to kind of wrap this up, and I think that this is the question that we're probably going to ask every single one of the uh, guests that we have on, but... Okay. Um, Going into the name of our podcast, what does um, being ahead of the count mean to you? Being ahead of the count. Now, that is a pitching reference. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, being ahead of the count, I mean, it's, it's, it can be anything, you know. In terms of homework, I mean, it can be applied in different ways. Homework, get everything done one day ahead. You know, that's, that's a rule I try to live by. That's, that's being ahead of the count. There's many ways to be ahead of the count. Baseball, literally, you're being. You, you want to get ahead of the count. You want to, you want to be one step ahead of any competition that you have. Maybe in terms of a job, you know, you want to be one step more prepared than 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 the next best guy. You know, you always want to be. You just you want to have the advantage on everyone because in in the end, the most successful people are the ones that prepare themselves better than the next. And you know, I mean, in terms of like. Any, you know, billionaires, the, the, those those guys we're talking about, the ones that, you know, may not be happy with their money, but they were one step ahead of everyone. You know, you could, take, you could take Steve Jobs and the iPhone. He knew that people needed an iPhone before an iPhone existed. He was one step ahead of everyone already. Like, no one had thought of that idea before him. And now it's a part of our lives every day. Everyone looks at their phone every day. And how we know, like we had no clue that we needed it, but we, but we did. And he was one step ahead of everyone and knew that he was ahead of the count. Court never change. You're a good guy. Thanks, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. For sure, man. All right. Well, we will, uh, see you guys next time. And, uh, you know, enjoy it. yeah, enjoy. I hope you enjoyed it too. Yeah, thank you, Court. Stay ahead of the count. Yes, sir.